Revenue is a vanity metric. That's what our guest today hooked me with in an email when he reached out and said, I would love to teach your listeners something new. I would love to teach them the essential financial metrics that every e-com founder, that's you, dear audience and manager, should understand. And I, we've had requests for discussing financial in the uh, in bookkeeping topics in the past. We've recorded a little bit, but I think like this episode is the one where we're going to nail it because our guest today, Jason Andrew, has such a a straightforward and refreshing and original and a little funny approach to to dealing with with bookkeeping and accounting because he's got quite a bit of experience directly in helping e-commerce businesses with their numbers, whether that's bookkeeping or financial control or profit and cash flow maximization strategies. And he is the author of an entrepreneurial accounting book called Stark Naked Numbers that has been called the four-hour work week of finance and business. Well, that is, that is high praise. Uh, Jason, Thank you for joining us. Let's start with uh, you. Tell me a little bit about your your accounting firm, SBO Financial. So, well, you get the plug in right there. And oh. <laughs> I also want to know, make the case for why we should listen to you. Great. Well, thanks. Firstly, thanks for um, thanks for I mean, being a guest on the podcast, Kurt. So, SBO Financial, we're an accounting firm. So, I'm a chartered accountant based in Australia. Um, a chartered accountant is equivalent of like a CPA, I guess, in the US. And so what we do is we're an accounting business or accounting firm, but we don't do any taxes, okay? So you're probably out on the Sunday barbecue with your friends. When I mention to people that I'm an accountant, people think, oh, yeah, I haven't done my tax return for like two years, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I, I haven't done a tax return in about seven years. It's okay. What we do in SBO is focus on the stuff that actually keeps you in business. And so that ranges from, number one, getting on top of your numbers, really understanding what your profit margins are, understanding um, what your balance sheet looks like and, and offering tactics and strategies and how to maximize your cash flow and the profit in your business. Um, so that's what the accounting firm does. Uh, so we work a lot with Shopify merchants globally, um, also agencies and, and tech startups. Um, in terms of why, sh- sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so in terms of why you should listen to me, I mean, now is more if you're not into your numbers right now in this economic environment if you're not looking at paying attention to your cash flow or your profit margins um you're, you're going to be out of business to be frank like you need to be on top of the numbers especially in this environment um because as we know cash is king you need to be on top of them so you can uh yeah just keeps going and surviving so you can get out the other side and and, and really take advantage of the cycle when it turns in the future and especially in, in e-commerce where cash flow is uh, particularly problematic because you have to, you're holding on to inventory, which is a liability, but you got to sell it, but you have to have the inventory on hand to sell. But then we also need to be putting cash flow toward purchasing new inventory down the road. So in, in all businesses, bookkeeping, cash flow accounting is important. I think for e-commerce, especially, you know, unless you're like one of the lucky few who does mostly digital downloads um, or like purely reselling. If you are making, manufacturing your own stuff, uh, buying and stocking your own inventory, it becomes especially important um, to your business. And if you're ignoring it, then it becomes this tremendous, it could become this tremendous liability very quickly. Um, I want to know one thing. Uh, it's interesting that you are a, a an accountant uh, who focuses on e-commerce businesses specifically. What drew you to that? How did you end up niching down on e-commerce? 
E-commerce is a really um, interesting space for us as accountants because we're typically dealing with uh, merchants or businesses who are doing a lot of volume. Okay, so you know you're you're doing you know up to so you know some of our clients have to do up to a hundred million dollars of, of revenue. And um, what's fun about e-com businesses is that there are so many tink- uh, levers to tinker with, right? So to look at maximizing profit, all you need to do it's it's amazing of how many small adjustments you can make to pricing or volume, or AOV, um, or you know, adjustments to your cash conversion cycle, um, how you can really make really small tweaks to the business and have dramatic, like absolutely dramatic results to the bottom line and your cash at bank positions. And so I think because of the there's so many nuances and so many levers within the e-commerce business model, it's just a really fun business model to play in and, and, um, and has been really fun to, um, to tinker with a lot of our clients. Um, just because of the sheer size and the sheer volumes of what these companies do. Yeah, ten years ago, we were still doing uh, WordPress development and like really whatever web development I could get to keep the lights on. But the thing that drew me to e-commerce and eventually led to us niching down exclusively on Shopify is exactly what you said. Where you know, and for me, it was like okay, design became suddenly way less subjective when it was in service of these key performance indicators and then they could have you know these design changes could have dramatic effects on revenue because of that multiplying force of con- like visitor times conversion rate times average order value and then you know return customer rate gets involved because it was absolutely fascinating and tickled like the OCD business designer Venn diagram overlap in my brain um <laughs> so yeah Hundred percent agree. I mean, all you need to do is put your business through into a financial model and uh, and really start to get granular with with the levers and playing with the inputs, and you can really see how how small how big little changes can make um, to to your company. It's, it's it's really fun. If I had to guess, I would think you have a spreadsheet saved, maybe in Google Sheets, where you have your models and you could plug in someone's key performance indicators and look at it and very quickly go, okay, well, this is the one that's going to have the dramatic impact. This is what you should shoot for. This is what you should change. Am I right? <laughs> so I, I look at a set of accounts in the same way that a digital marketer would look at Google Analytics, right? Or, or, or a Shopify plus account. So I, that's how I look at numbers. Um, so typically, yeah, 100%. So the answer your question, yes, we have software which plugs in and helps us do um, back of the envelope economics, um, basically, to un- for us to get a very fast gauge of the uh, financial uh, performance and financial health of the company. But then, yes, there are spreadsheets that we have in the background which um, help us easily tinker with certain assumptions to to understand at a quick level, a quick glance, how we can really help um, improve the financial performance of a business with very little effort, to be honest. In a lot of cases, it's only these small minor tweaks, which, um, again, as I said before, have massive results, but not a huge grade of effort at all. I knew it. (laughs) So (laughs) at the top of the show, I opened with this wonderful quote, revenue is a vanity metric. And that resonated with me because uh, I spend too much time on Twitter and e-com, DTC Twitter, that's a sticking point for a lot of people, especially the Facebook marketing guys where you know people share these incredible revenue numbers and they go yeah but who cares so tell me why revenue is a vanity metric okay so a dollar is a dollar right so one dollar of sales is the same in comparison to another most people would think that um from face value but to be honest that that's a lie right because not all revenue dollars are created equal but 
or gross profit dollars are. Okay, so when I refer to gross profit dollars, that takes account to your revenue, but also factors the cost of goods that you're selling. So in the truth is, is that every business will have varying gross profit margins and um, some will be higher than others. And typically for B2C e-commerce businesses, gross profit dollars or gross profit margins after returns, shipping, um, you know, freight, all of the above, and then the product itself generally sit between 40 to 50% of, of, um, of sales, right? That's, that's a standard gross profit margin for a business. Now, compare that to like a SaaS company, like a software business, which is kind of out of the realm of e-commerce altogether. They have gross profit margins of like 80 or 90%, right? Like very, very different unit economics altogether. And so to compare every business by their revenue is just completely wrong. And as I said before, it's a vanity metric. I'll use a different example, right? If I buy a product for $50 from, you know, from my supplier in China and I sell it to the market for $40, right? I can tell the world that, yeah, I'm making a crap load of sales because, hey, I'm selling all these products, but I'm losing $10 in every sale, right? I have a negative gross profit margin. That It just doesn't work like that, right? You, you actually have a terrible business model because you're right. losing $10 in every sale that you make, right? It's, it's a bad business. It just doesn't work. Um, and so a lot of people that I talk with, they think, oh, I've got this really low margin product. And the objective here is just own the market, right? We're going to discount or we're going to make our, our price point really low because we're going to make up our, our losses with volume. And my, my, my message to them is like, well, it just doesn't work like that. If you're, if you're making negative gross margins, you can't make losses up with volume. It just doesn't work like that. They, like the yeah, they economy, compound. Right? Um, yeah, exactly. It makes it worse, right? And then we end up with companies like you know, the Ubers of the world or the Caspers of the world where um, they're broken business models, quite frankly. And so it really requires everyone, particularly in, in, in D2C e-commerce, where the economics are pretty straightforward. You can just sit down and do a back-of-the-envelope kind of unit economics project and work out, well, what's my product uh, need to sell for? What's my budgeted discount rate? What's my return rate? What's the cost of my sale? And work out pretty quickly what profit you need to be making on each sale for you to be in business. So if revenue is a vanity metric, what other, what other are the big mistakes you see e-com founders making when they're looking at analyzing or just in general with their finances? Because I 100% agree with you on revenue being a vanity metric. When I talk to a lot of founders who are probably not engaged in the numbers in a, in a way that I think they should be, I, I generally ask them, my first question is, so what do you look at to help you understand the, I guess, the success of your business? And nine times out of 10, they say that I look at my Shopify account, um, that's, it sells my sales, my ARV, you know, that sort of stuff. And then they'll talk and they'll say, well, what about the finances? And they say, I'll look at my bank account. <laughs> so they'll log into their bank account every day and they look at their cash at bank, right? They are very, yes, I understand why people kind of rely on those two sources because they are a source of truth for a lot of people. But the, the truth is that that is actually a really bad way of running your business, right? And I'll explain why. So we already established that, number one, revenue is a vanity metric. So looking at your Shopify account is not actually going to tell you anything about your profit margins um, or your cash flow. It just tells you how many sales you made. Um, and to be honest, even some people are actually relying on the gross profit margin reports within the Shopify account, which are actually wrong because they're not integrated to any accounting system or 3PLs, right? So... The, the gross profit margin data in your Shopify account is actually not correct a lot of the time. Um, and usually yeah, how it? that information gets in there, people just key it in right at the beginning of the setup. Yeah, um, I have yet to actually rely on or use 
that um, that profit metric in Shopify Analytics, truthfully. Because yeah, I, and you should. I'm not the one who set it up, so I really I have <laughs> no way of knowing if it's at all useful or trustworthy because it's literally all right. You put the you've got your 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 sale price on every one of your products, your variants, whatever it is, and you also then have uh, cost of goods sold. You type in there. And then yes. that's it. And like, yep. what are the chances that anyone actually maintains this thing over time? So like, okay, it, it's a, a a benchmark or a guideline, but I have yet to actually pay attention to it for the reasons you outlined. Yeah, it's it's wrong. It's wrong all the time, right? And you know, as you know, your product mix changes, your cost of sales changes. That that cost of sales, whoever input that information there in the first place, didn't factor. Um, any 3PL costs. So it's not, it's not even real. Like, so people are looking at that information, which is wrong altogether. And then the other part is that they look at their bank account. So like, okay, well, I have X amount of cash in the bank. Well, that's nice, but that cash isn't yours. Um, it's your suppliers that you owe money for. It's probably you owe money to the IRS or the, or the tax office, um, for, for sales tax, et cetera. So looking at your bank balance and looking at Shopify reports is not a good way to run the finance function of your business. You need to have an accounting system, right? So whether that's a QuickBooks or a Xero, um, like you, you need to have a system because your accounting system should be the source of truth. And that should be exactly where all the, the backend data of your finance function should sit, right? And you should be looking at these reports more frequently, I think, than your Shopify reports, to be honest. And when you say you should be looking at these reports, Ed, what report should I be looking at? Like I use Bench. But I, you know, I'm running yeah. an agency, and we also have apps. It's very different than what um, you know, an e-commerce merchant has to deal with, and much simpler. And even then, I still, you know, get uh, can get overwhelmed look, trying to find what I'm looking for. Um, and that's with Bench, which is really simple relative to like a QuickBooks, um, which is a more advanced tool. So, what what reports would you recommend if I'm an e-commerce merchant? I should be looking at. Yeah, so what I would recommend is rather than looking, think about it, rather than looking at just reports as a, um, because of like a catch all, because you can tailor reports in any way that you want. Um, I find that maybe talking about uh, presenting financial metrics rather than reports is a better way of, of conveying information um, because numbers do tell a story, right? And if you don't know, a lot of people, a lot of founders find accounting and financial statements very confusing. No one ever taught us how to read a balance sheet. Um, at school uh, or when we ever started a business. Um, nine, most of my clients still don't know how to understand the balance sheet. That's okay because well, I'm not there to teach them how to read a balance sheet. I'm, I'm trying to, my role is to teach them how to understand their numbers, okay? So what we do is rather, um, instead of overwhelm people with reports, we try to basically build very simple dashboards and just outlining key financial metrics. And so the financial metrics that I encourage everyone in this call, everyone's listening um, to, to be measuring the hawk, as it was a Hawkeye for the e-commerce business on the following. There's five key metrics. So the first one we spoke about was gross profit margins. All right, so gross profit dollars and gross profit margins. This is more important than your revenue. Okay, as we established before, gross profit dollars are the things that will keep you in business. Revenue is a only metric. Okay, so margins and dollars for gross profit is the first one. Uh, the other two, which are the hidden uh, metrics of profitability or hidden kills of profitability are return rates um, uh, and discounting, right? I hate discounting as a customer acquisition tool or a tactic. A lot of like um, growth marketers like to um, use it as a, as a lever to you know, get customers in and uh, yeah, and just continue to, again, make top line sales, but don't 
pay any attention to the margins. And so discounting or pricing generally, pricing is the most powerful lever in your company to maximize profit, right? Because for every um, you know, 10% of, profit of, of price that you increase uh, to your prices, to your products, that's 10% going straight to your bottom line, right? Because your costs don't change. Um, yeah, you'll be just generating more, more profit. Um, the same thing happens, but in reverse, when you discount, right? You knock 10% off the sales price, you're eroding your profit by 10%, by that exact percentage, right? So it's a really destructive lever, and I hate discounting. There are places where it sits, and we can talk about that later, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm against it. Um, return rates are the same thing. Um, if you're in uh, kind of high, like consumable fashion goods, return rates can be up to 50%. And that, again, that can really kill your business because you, it's not only dealing with, um, you know, handling of the refunds, et cetera, but think of all the stock that you have to get and then a repackage. It's all those indirect indirect labor associated with having a repackage and, and resell that, those items that are eventually returned. Um, and even like some, some companies can't even resell their returned items. Um, so mattress companies, for example, so we spoke, Casper, you know, they can't re- resell a mattress. You just, you can't rebox a mattress. So what that what happens is that stock is dead. Um, if someone returns that stock, it ends up at, um, the Salvation Army or Red Cross or a charity, um, or it ends up in landfill. So oh, it's, a, it's a massive cost of business. Yes. Yeah, and that's the truth. Um, so discounting return rates are killers. And so the two last um, metrics where I encourage everyone to look at are more cash flow related metrics. So the first one is what I call the cash conversion cycle. And, and what that basically measures is your working capital. So for, for those in the room who don't know what working capital means, basically working capital is are the accounts in your balance sheet where your cash is hiding, okay? Now for, for e-commerce businesses, all of you will have all your cash hiding in stock, right? It's that money that's sitting in your warehouse or sitting in your garage that is just sitting there doing nothing, okay? Um, think about, uh, you know, with, with some businesses who, you know, let's say you, you carry $500,000 of stock at any one point in time, just picture $500,000 of cash, <laughs> real dollars sitting in your garage, sitting there doing nothing, right? It's not a good return of money, of stock just sitting there, you know, de- depreciating, deteriorating, getting old. And so what the cash conversion cycle does is basically um, tries to quantify the amount of stock that you have. Um, it also factors your accounts receivable. So if you sell wholesale uh, to, to other retailers, your product, um, it, it basically quantifies those metrics into days, right? So rather than thinking about, I have $500,000 worth of stock in my garage, um, that, that could be a small amount of stock relative to your sales because you do could be doing a high volume business. But Rather than thinking about dollars, you think about days. So you think, so instead of saying $500,000 of stock, you might say, I have 40 days of stocks in my warehouse. So the objective is to get those days as low as possible, um, which means that you're reducing your cash conversion cycle. So you're essentially converting your profit into cash faster, which then you can use that cash to deploy back into growth and, and grow, grow, grow. So um, Tim Cook, uh, the current you know, CEO of Apple, he, you know, when, when Steve Jobs passed away, um, everyone was wondering why Tim Cook was the guy to, to, to take over Apple, right? Um, you know, they're very, all, almost polar opposites in terms of personality type and, and leadership style. Jobs was kind of the creative visionary, um, you know, sung from the hills and could really inspire people. Tim Cook was more the operations guy. He was the COO of Apple at the time. And, um, yeah, it was a very, very different thing. And everyone's thinking, well, why, why is Tim Cook the guy to, to replace Jobs? 
And, and the truth is just Tim Cook just knows how to run a business, right? So Tim Cook joined Apple back in the 90s and his job was supply chain management. And so his focus was on inventory days. Let's, let's really fix up um, Apple's manufacturing process, their supply chain. And one of the key metrics that they focused on was optimizing that cash conversion cycle. And there's and there is a direct correlation to your cash flow, right? There's a reason why Apple has one of the strongest balance sheet um, and the highest amount of cash on the balance sheet globally of any company is because they focus on these types of metrics. So, um, so that's the cash conversion cycle in a nutshell. And the fifth and final metric is free cash flow. So again, we, we spoke about revenue being a value metric. Um, there's, a, there's a quote that I like to say with a lot of founders is that <clears throat> revenue is a value metric, um, profit is sanity, but cash is rarely. And I know that cash, you can't pay bills with profit. You can't pay bills with revenue. You need cash to, 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 to pay your bills, right? So free cash flow is a metric which actually looks at your profit, but also factors that working capital that I mentioned before. And what free cash flow is, it's a, it's a metric that is used by a lot of investment bankers, a lot of venture capitalists to really understand the company's ability to generate positive cash. Um, and and actually understand how how efficient it is in its its um, cash utilization. You know, it's funny. I actually I have an MBA, and I was so bad at accounting, other than like the most basic stuff. And I'm sure we talked about it, and I I blanked it out from my mind. But cash conversion cycle really seems a hundred percent entirely new to me, and. I, googling it right now and i'm like oh my god this makes so much sense this is like the missing piece for a lot of merchants i mean like this is yes. a, um a, a really a, a major key in figuring major out killer. what uh the health of your your business finances especially when you're dealing with moving inventory um and you've got wholesale and returns there's a lot of factors in there and it, it's like maddening to try and figure out and get a pulse on and you just gave us the metric for it cash conversion cycle oh it's got to be like so many people probably just breathed a a sigh of relief knowing that every business needs to measure their cash conversion cycle right it is it is the it it, it's a new term for a lot of people i will admit um but it because frankly let's just go back to the principles right profit is not the same as cash right i hope everyone understands the difference and i said before where your cash is hiding is that thing called working capital and your cash conversion cycle measures your efficiency of your working capital. So, yeah, if there's one thing that everyone could take from this uh, episode is Google cash conversion cycle and try to calculate for your business because you'll quickly identify exactly how you can improve your cash um, immediately, basically. I love it. I love it. Um, I want to step back a little bit because you had touched on discounting and your dislike of discounting but you said hey i think there's there's a few times when you should discount and there are some things you could do instead will you run those past me so there is actually a so let's just talk about the theory of discounting right so the idea behind discounting is that if i let's just say my product i sell my product to the market for 100 dollars a year right so i sell my widget 100 bucks and people think oh yeah it's a, it's a good good widget um People buy it. And then uh, then the founder or the growth marketer think, hey, what if we reduce that the cost of the widget, sorry, the price of the widget? What if we discount it by 10%, right? So instead of selling to the market for like, say, 100 bucks, maybe we just sell it for 
90 bucks. But give it get ten dollars off as a discount. Let's see what happens, right? And now the traditional um, theory of economics would suggest that you would sell more units, right? Because um, you know, simple supply and demand curves. As I reduce my price, uh, I will sell more volume. Okay, that's just simple economic one on one. Economics one on one. And so that's why people decided to discount. It's like, well, I can discount my product. So it means that more people, in theory, should be out there to look at my product and buy it, and um, and I'll get more sales, right? And so, yes, I mean, traditional economic theory would indicate that. Yes, but to understand if you're discounting profitably, um, because the idea is that if you if you do discount, um, say ten percent, there is actually a, a, a formula. There is actually a spreadsheet which I can share with you guys in the show notes, which actually tells you if for every one percent that you discount, how many extra units or extra how much extra volume you need to sell in your business, right? So my issue with discounting is so sorry. Go back. So if, as long as if you can discount by ten percent and show that you are growing your turnover um, by higher and actually increasing the overall gross profit dollars generated to the company, then yes, discounting is an effective tactic because you're actually generating more profit right through that discounting tactic. My issue, my hung up with discounting is that no one ever does the maths or the economics around discounting. Everyone just assumes that, well, if I discount by 10%, I will sell more. And the truth is that, yeah, I mean, you will potentially from a revenue perspective, but you probably won't or may not from a gross profit perspective or a profit perspective. So, again, going back to revenue as a value metric, um, people are looking at the wrong things and probably not thinking about discounting in the right way. So, when there's, there are two ways that discounting does work. Um, so, the first one is it's okay to sell your product um, at a cost or, um, or a small profit if you are trying to sell old stock, okay? So, going back to that cash conversion cycle, um, what we find is that, a lot of, uh, of inventory-based businesses, a lot of retailers are holding way too much stock. They have bloated stock balances. And so we get them to basically do a Prudhoe principle analysis on their stock of your SKUs and work out, okay, well, everyone kind of in their gut feel knows what their, the top 20% of their SKUs are that generate you know, the most highest volume, the highest gross profit dollars to the company. You know, they turn the fastest. But there's all those luggage, right? There's always these crap SKUs that just kind of sit in the warehouse. They haven't, been, they haven't sold any, anything in like a few months. They're the ones you need to sell, right? You need to get them out of your warehouse to realize that cash flow and, and make more space for the stuff that does sell, right? And so discounting old stock or discounting stuff that doesn't move is a legit strategy um, because the objective there is to realize cash flow, not realize margin, okay? So that's when discounting can be is used effectively or for the right reason. And then so the second reason I mentioned before is, is if you can prove that you're growing um, your average order value or overall gross profit dollars by discounting because you can show and actually true up the relationship between the price and volume kind of equation, well, then, yes, that is that is profitable discounting. Um, again, my issue with that is that not many, not many people actually do the math um, or run the numbers to actually calculate what is the benchmark um, volume I need to sell at, a, at whatever percent discount I offer to the, to the customers. So, they're, um, so they're the very two kind of short-term ways to th think about discounting. But and I think they're very financial driven. So I'm talking about economics, I'm an accountant, but you know, there's a lot of marketers and probably yourself, Kurt, who are thinking, well, discounting always also has intangible consequences to your company, like brand erosion. Um, you don't want to be that right. guy um, who, just, who just has everything on sale because it, create, it trains your consumers to not buy from you now, but they'll wait for the next Black Friday, Cyber Monday or the Boxing Day or... 
whatever excuse to have a sale, right? So you're, you're training your customers to only buy from you when, when you've got something to offer, um, which is a really bad way of doing business when you think about it because no one wants to be that guy. Right. You don't want to get trapped into that, uh, the, the discounting prison where you have to, you're, you're exactly what you said. Your customers know I can buy this now at full price or if I can just wait, they will eventually put it on sale. And so they were like, they'll sit on your newsletter and they'll just wait. And then the sale comes, you do a flash sale. Like for this kind of audience, you run a flash sale and then you do just utterly dramatic numbers. But the moment you're not running that sale, uh, suddenly things kind of fall off a cliff. Hold up. As an e-commerce entrepreneur, you shouldn't expect to be the best at everything. And you probably don't have time to learn to be the best at everything. So when your email isn't performing like you think it should, and you don't have time to manage it yourself, who are you going to call? Well, when this happens to my clients, I call Sully at Ecom Growers. They've helped two of our clients double their email revenue in 30 days. Ecom Growers works because it was co-founded by a successful Shopify store owner-operator, Tyler Sully Sullivan. You may remember Sully from previous episodes of this show, his posts in many Shopify Facebook groups, or his own seven-figure store, Bomb Tech Golf. So if you want to see how much more revenue you could be driving with email, go to ecomgrowers.com to apply for your free email blueprint. That's ecomgrowers.com. Talk to him. Uh, all right. So that was discounting. Um, have we talked about the financial challenges that merchants face in that, you know, would you, I know you touched on it a little bit um, in terms of like uh, uh, cash flow when accounting for all these other things, you know, like, um, you know, accounts receivable on wholesale and, you know, purchasing future goods um, and return rate, et cetera. Yeah, so I think that those those metrics really sum up the, the financial challenges that we see a lot of um, clients face. And I think uh, I'll, I'll kind of recap on, on the message there is that looking at looking at your business from a revenue perspective or um, looking at your bank balance in your bank account is, is not a good way to run run a, run your your finances, right? And so I think the the biggest financial challenge that well the biggest challenge that we see with with merchants is is going back to their the inventory. So a lot of as you said before. A lot of these, uh, a lot of you in the room have all of your cash type in stock, right? So really getting intimate with the SKUs that you hold and, and really understanding um, that, ca- that cash conversion cycle, which I mentioned earlier, probably clears up a lot of the, the air with respect to how to um, improve the cash because you could be a profitable business, but you could be, you could be really cash poor. And then that's exactly one of the issues. Um, and, and the other part, which we haven't really touched on, was like just financial literacy generally, right? So, um, you know, you're an MBA, Kurt. I'm sure you learned uh, accounting 101 um, at XYZ University. Is that, is that right to assume? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I did attend XYZ University in Chicago. And how um, was that accounting class applicable to, to your business? Are we, were you in business at the time or how, how did you, or was it just for case studies? Like how, yeah, I'm really curious to learn, to understand how you were able to apply accounting to, to your real life circumstances. Sure. So the, in college, it was very much like, this is, this is practical accounting bookkeeping uh, type stuff. And then in the, and that I truly, I really struggled with. I'm like, suddenly I'm like, I felt, I felt dumb. I'm like, am I bad at math? What happened here? Um, and then, 
in the MBA program, that was a, a much saner approach for me um, because it was it was less technical and it was much more about like, all right, you need to understand these concepts so that when uh, you know these numbers are put in front of you, you don't just stare at them blankly. Like they have a meaning. You have to understand you know, what went into calculating them before you can understand uh, and appreciate uh, the, these numbers. So it's much more practical. Um, honestly, like the MBA version, I felt was more practical, but probably also more basic than like the college business program, which was like, all right, you're just basically going to take the intro classes that the accounting kids take. And, oh man, did that mess me up. <laughs> yeah, I, I 100% agree. So um, a lot of the founders that we work with, you know, they've got um, MBAs, you've got a bachelor's or, you know, a lot of them degrees. Some of them don't. Some of them are more your typical, um, you know, dropped out of high school, started a business type entrepreneurs. But um, what the, the, the key theme across all of them is their, their is financial literacy, right? Um, and I don't know what how the American education system is, but even when it comes to your personal finances, now, when I was in high school, no one taught us what credit cards were. No one really told us what compound interest really meant <laughs> from, a, from, from that perspective. Um, how do you save money? What's the budget? Like all these what are now very essential um, items for it to run our life and our, and our household were, you know, were not taught to us in school, right? And so these people, so, you know, me and myself included, um, we then start businesses and, you know, you, you're not taught what a budget is or how to balance the books. And then you start a business <laughs> and then you buy stock and then you employ people and you're suddenly responsible for all of these things. And no one actually ever taught you how to actually think about your numbers in a way that is practical and relevant to help you build a business, right? Um, and so the, my last mission is really to improve the financial literacy gap of entrepreneurs because it's such a needed thing especially for founders because i see so many people um who who think they've got a really great business because again they're looking at the wrong things they look at the revenue metrics they look at the cash of the bank um or they look at um themselves in the forbes um you know top 100 top 100 um, entrepreneurs this year or, or the, the media publications and you know you can see this culture at the moment well you know up until now but um for the last 10 years is like the the metrics of success for a lot of entrepreneurs was you know how much capital you've raised and how many employees you've got and you know and how you know, if you're not the front page of xyz or TechCrunch or any of these media publications um you know you're not successful and i think that's absolutely garbage because everyone has their own definition of success and to me success is having a profitable business that produces great cash flow that funds the lifestyle that you want as an entrepreneur, right? So not all of us started a business to take over the world um, and, and, and be the world's biggest mega brand. A lot of us in the room, um, probably self-included, Kurt, is to, to build a business that we're proud of, that serves, does really good work, service our customers, serves the need in the market, and ultimately pays for the lifestyle that we deserve, right? A hundred percent. You're speaking my language. So um, I think, I think, we need to change the narrative of what entrepreneurship is. And I, I truly believe is just by understanding some of the financial concepts in your business will help to dispel some of those value metrics and get people really back to grips with what is actually important to the business, which is making a profit, making a cash flow, right? And this is more important now than ever in this economic environment, right? Like cash is king, as everyone knows. Um, cash flow will keep you in business, right? Your revenue won't, right? How much cash in the bank is what will help you survive through 
economic uncertainty for the next, you know, six, 12, 18 months, whatever it might be. Um, yeah. I, I, I realized that was, that was you on your soapbox, but the, <laughs> the passion came through and I, I a hundred percent agree with the message. It is so easy to get caught up in like seeing, you know, all these huge successful mega brands acquired for insane sums of money. But you always have to remind yourself, like, that's largely the result of PR efforts. There are plenty of hugely successful businesses that just quietly operate and you will never, ever hear about or realize are these tremendous businesses. That's my favorite is when a business I never thought twice about, you know, I find out through the grapevine just does like incredible numbers and serves just to uh, someone's lifestyle and, and family. I suspect some of this comes up in your book. Tell me about, about your book, Stark Naked Numbers. So Stark Naked Numbers, um, I wrote, uh, only published late, um, early last year. Um, and again, the, the goal of why I wrote Stark Naked Numbers was I felt that a lot of entrepreneurs and founders probably don't engage with their finances in a way that I think they should. Um, you know, go to your local bookstore and you um, look at the top 10 or top 100 um, business section or bestsellers of the business section, right? So you've got books about, you know, if you want to learn about marketing, you've got the, you know, the gods of Seth Godin. Uh, if you want about leadership, there's like guys like Simon Sinek and, you know, there's, there's Jim Collins of Good to Great. There's all these like really great books on basically every facet of business that you want to learn about if you want to upskill yourself. Um, I, I read a lot of books. Um, but when it came down to like finance and like learning about your numbers, there was no real book that many people went to. Um, so Profit First by Mark McCallowitz is probably um, the book that um, a lot of entrepreneurs read. I'm sure that it's been probably spoken about in this podcast. I mean, if you guys have come across Profit First, but um, it's come up a lot. Um, the problem with Profit First, it's not a book on accounting. It's actually more on how to manage your cash flow. Um, so, so, you know, basically I was inspired by Profit First to, to write Stark Naked Numbers to really bridge the gap and make accounting really simple and easy and practical, which is more importantly practical for businesses and entrepreneurs and business owners and entrepreneurs to really understand numbers and apply that to their business. Um, and so I wrote it um, to, yeah, to basically up, uh, improve the financial literacy of entrepreneurs and it's full of tactics and, and case studies on, on how everyday founders like you and I um, can actually apply um, tactics used by some of the world's largest companies and CFOs and revered investors to their own business and actually see meaningful results. Um, so, yeah. Where can I get it? I want it. <laughs> uh, it's available on Amazon.com. Uh, so just if you just Google, uh, actually, well, the, web, the website starknakednumbers.com um, or you can just jump on Amazon and search Stark Naked Numbers and it'll, and it'll be there. So it's available on Kindle, um, or, or paperback as well. Very good. And now that we're, we're wrapping things up, where could people go to learn more about you? I'm uh, me personally, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So, um, if you search Jason Andrew on LinkedIn, um, I make it my mission to, to post kind of relevant, um, relevant information on, uh, financial literacy metrics, just trying to demystify numbers uh, for businesses. We do like lots of case studies as well. So last last month we did a financial teardown of Casper when they IPO'd. Um, so just looking at the unit economics of that company. Um, and yeah, so find me on LinkedIn is probably the best way. And or you can check out our website as well, um, sbo.financial, which is my accounting firm. We also have a lot of case studies, blogs, and and actually lots of free calculators for founders to use 
to help them understand questions like how do I profitably discount? So that, that's the thing on there. Um, we also have things like how do you conduct a cost benefit analysis and whether you should, what, of when to engage a 3PL versus doing your own fulfillment, um, things like that. So check out our website as well, sbo.financial. These are really tremendous resources. It is, it is very clever to take um, a, uh, a traditional, boring-seeming profession like accounting, and then once you apply it to a specific niche and audience, suddenly it opens up all these opportunities for really fabulous content and tools and resources, and then that rapidly you become an authority in that space. So I'm... Uh, I, I greatly admire what you've built here, and I will, I've got those links in the show notes for people so they could find it quickly. Brilliant. Thank you, Kurt. I mean, my, my, so I said before, my last mission is to make accounting interesting. Um, I actually think accounting is, it should be like the most sexiest thing in business, right? Because it shows you how much money you make. Like if you understand your numbers and you understand the tactics and the levers to pull in your company, that is real cash and you implement them successfully. That is real cash landing in your bank account. Like there's nothing cooler than um, fixing your business and, and actually putting in effort and actually creating more money for yourself. Like I think that's such a great way to do it. And, and, and engaging with your numbers is one step to doing that. And the final question I want to ask you, as long as I got you here, you, mentioned, you rattled off a whole bunch of books. And obviously you wrote what is essentially a business book. So I'm assuming you've read a lot of business books. What's your favorite business book? Other than your own, of course. <laughs> uh, I'm a massive fan of Seth Godin. Um, I, I did the Alt MBA and yeah, have a lot of respect for, the, for him as a personality, but also the community that he's, he's developed um, over his entire career, which is extremely incredible. But my favorite book is by Seth Godin, and it is um, All Entrepreneurs Are Liars, um, which is actually retold to All Marketers Are Liars. And um, have you have you read that book, Kurt? No, I haven't. It's an amazing book on marketing. It's probably the best marketing book you'll ever read. Right, what's the title one more time? So I can make sure I get um, this right. All, it's called All Marketers Are Liars. All Marketers Are Liars. All right, I will order it for myself, and then I'm also going to include the link in the show notes. Here we awesome. go. Got it. Seth Godin's All Marketers Are Liars. Cool. All right. Uh, this, has been, this has been really good and engaging. I appreciate it. Um, one key action item people are going to pull the headphones out of their ears and then do what stop looking at your shopify account to understand the health of your business look at your quickbooks or your bench or your zero and go ahead and, and actually google cash conversion cycle and actually calculate that for yourself um and yeah that's probably the one thing i would do well the first thing i would do yeah for sure excellent all right thank you i gotta go order uh all marketers are liars Brilliant. Thank you, Kurt. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.